Greetings, this is your host, Tony Winyard, welcoming you to a very special 250th episode of the Arts of Living Proactively podcast. Today, I have the delightful privilege of being the interviewee rather than the interviewer, with the talented Helena Horick taking the reins. She will be gently grilling me about the genesis of this podcast, my approach to interviewing, and the habits I'm cultivating. I'll also reveal an exciting rebrand happening in episode 251 next week. So strap in for an enthralling ride into the future of this podcast. There may even be some surprising stories from my globetrotting past, sprinkled in to give a glimpse into what shaped my perspectives. So I hope you enjoy this celebratory episode. It promises to be a riveting and rewarding one. When it finishes, I would love for you to leave comments on the YouTube channel about what most intrigued or inspired you. And now without further delay, let's hand the mic over to Helena and dive right in. Welcome to the Art of Living Proactively. And today is a very different episode. It's episode 250 for one thing, but I'm not actually the guest on this episode where I usually I'm the host. Oh, sorry, I'm not actually the host on this episode rather where usually I am. I'm the guest today. Yeah. And the host is, well, let me introduce you to Helena Horowitz. And if any of you have been listening to my podcast for quite a few years, or if you've been listening since the beginning, I don't know how many people there still are, but Helena was a guest about four years ago. And in probably around episode 30-ish or something along those lines. Yeah. So, um, hello, Helena. Hello. It's so nice to be here and it's so fantastic to be able to turn the tables and just facilitate everyone listening. You know, for those of you who are long-term fans of Tony, welcome. And you're going to find out some some things about Tony that you may never have known. And yet he may well have introduced you to so many people. For those of you who are fairly new to Tony, hello and welcome to you as well. You're about to find out something about the the direction that this podcast is actually taking because tony you've been doing podcasts now for how long it's coming up to six years i guess it's over five years anyway yeah yeah for sure and this episode which starts the whole new thing which we'll talk about in a minute this episode is going to be the 250th episode, which is really quite some going. Your passion and dedication to finding and then sharing with your audience some really diverse characters is, it kind of knows no bounds. So tell us a little bit about what inspires you to reach out to someone to put them on the show, whichever iteration of the show we've been going through. It's just the whole scratch my own itch thing. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm so incredibly curious about so many different things, and I'll be reading something. I mean, I just read loads and loads of books, and often it will be I'll be reading a book and I think, ah, oh, I should have an episode about that, and then I'll either reach out to the author of that book, which I've done many times and I've had many authors on, or. I'll reach out to an author of another book, maybe on the same topic, or you know, I've done that many a time. Yeah. And you have a particular style around how you interview people. Can you say more? Because I, I know for a fact from listening, and I know that others tell you this as well, that they just, you seem to extract quite a lot out of your guests that just allows them to share possibly more than they anticipated. And most of them, I know this because you and I have been in conversation, turn around and say, that was a really good interview. What's, what's your knack? Well, uh, so I, I did radio for eight years in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I was working on a big station in Jakarta, Indonesia, which was their equivalent of Capital Radio. So it was, it was a very big station. Mm. And there was a lot of major stars used to go and do shows in Jakarta and like making appearances to sell their books and films. And when I say major stars, I mean A-list celebrities. And, and because I was the only Eng- native English-speaking person on this radio station, they asked me to do these interviews. So I was interviewing people along the lines of 
Cindy Crawford and Stephen Seagal and Bon Jovi and Take That and George Benz. I mean, like some huge, huge names, yeah. loads and loads of them. And initially, in the early days of doing these interviews, I would do loads of research on every person and I'd come to the interview with this whole list of questions. And it, it soon, I soon realized no one actually said anything to me because they gave me complete control. The radio station were really cool with me. But I realized there wasn't, the interviews weren't really flowing. It was just me asking lots of questions and it was just kind of a bit stuttery almost. Mm. And then one day I was just, I don't know, I, I was just sort of, I just guess confident with myself. I had enough confidence in myself. I'm not going to do any into. I'm not going to do any research for this episode. I'm just going to have a conversation and see where it goes. And it was amazing. The the the, the difference was incredible. We've, I remember that very first interview. It was a guy. Any jazz aficionados may know of a guy called Bob James, who oh, yeah. was really sort of big in the jazz fusion world in the 70s and 80s. And I was interviewing this guy, and I really liked Bob James as it goes. And we went down all sorts of paths and. And I remember him saying to me at one point, wow, you, actually, what you just said is it basically what he said. <laughs> we've, we've covered some stuff here. I haven't, because all he was doing all day long, and many of the people I was speaking to were just doing interviews all day long with different radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and so on. Mm. And he said, you've, we've been talking about some stuff that I haven't spoken about in any other interviews. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. And, and I have had many people say that. And it, I don't, I just have a conversation with people. I don't know where it's going to go. I, a lot of what I ask depends on what they say. Yeah. It makes complete and utter sense. And, and, it, and it's great that you've just said that because, because you know, well, two things popped for me and, and I'm like, who was your favorite? If you got free and easy with the conversations, who was your favorite or what was your best kind of like question that then opened someone up in a way that you never thought it would? Oh, wow, that's a really hard question. <laughs> so many. Um, who was my favourite? I guess, oh, actually, no, I can answer this. My favourite was a guy called Bluey Monique, who is the lead singer of Incognito. Uh-huh. And he was a guest on my show when I was in Jakarta. And, uh, and it's definitely favouritism because I love his music. I love Incognito. And... We also had a lot of fun um, kind of ribbing each other because he's a Tottenham supporter and I'm an Arsenal supporter. So we were giving each other lots of like, ribbing as well. And it was just a real fun interview. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Mm. Well, good for you. And it, it, it's interesting because you also mentioned kind of what gives you confidence and, and there's a point at which um, – one, a person gains confidence in something after having done it for a little while or or having built kind of a, a habit around it. Can you tell us a little bit about how you help people get confidence? Because I think a lot of people know you as a podcast host, but they might not know what you do outside of it. So, so expand everyone's world a little bit around what you do and why habits are important to you and how that leads to confidence. So, see, I realized um, we all, every person listening to this has so many things that they want to do, but they're not doing. And I don't think there's a person on earth who that doesn't apply to. True. And, and so that's, you know, there's many habits that we wish that we were doing on a regular basis, but we're not doing. Mm. And, yeah, and I'm as guilty of that as anyone, probably more so. And I was in the many books I was well a few years ago I got really into deep into I was just reading so many books around different aspects of health and nutrition and sleep and stress and, and so on mm. and as I was putting all this together and then I started doing various courses I did a breathwork course and a nutrition coach course and so on and as I was doing all these courses and I started to sort of coach people and I realized that I was People were struggling to make these into habits. They weren't actually following through on the things that we were talking about. Mm. And I was trying to understand why. And then I happened to be reading a book called Tiny Habits. And then the, and literally, I think a light bulb went off. Ah, oh, this is the missing piece. And what was quite strange about that was 
It was almost, actually thinking about it, it was almost three years ago to this day because what happened was I was reading the book. It was the day before my birthday. So it would have been December the 2nd, 2020. Okay. And I was reading the book and I thought, and then it mentioned in the book, we do courses to train people to be tiny habits coaches. So I went online and I saw there was a course starting. I would have been December the 1st because the course started the following day, which was December the 2nd. On your birthday. So I signed up for the course. They happened to have one space left. And I went on the course, started December the 2nd. And one of the first questions they asked during the course was, uh, we, we want you to answer some questions. So we're going to start off with the, the oldest person will speak first. So, oh, no, sorry, not oldest whoever's birthday is nearest so we all had to say our birthdays and i said well i think it's probably going to be me because in four hours time it's my birthday uh, <laughs> Fantastic. So, so yeah so it's almost exactly three years ago that what that was yeah wow and and you know sort of uh, i i really hear in that 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 with the breath work with the nutrition i know you've done a whole bunch of other sort of integrative trainings around health why is health so important to you and why is it so important for you to kind of share what you know kind of learn about it and share i think there's a, there's a few things one is um my health history in, in, in my family a lot of people have died young in my family um my um, both my brothers died in their sort of early 50s my dad did my mum had well, she went blind in the in the late nineties, and then she had various sort of cancer. She had breast cancer. It went, came back. She had to have a, a mastectomy. It went, came back, had a double mastectomy, and then it, then she had terminal cancer, and then she passed away. One of my uncles had testicular uh, prostate cancer. Sorry, mm. my granddad died of lung cancer. My nan died of so cancer was very prevalent in a family lots of people have died and then other people have died from from various things and so i guess it, it was just always in you know am i going to die young as well i was at one point i was thinking well it's obviously it's just a matter of time until i get cancer because right. everyone was having cancer so that was kind of set me off reading a lot about cancer initially i was reading a lot about cancer and the more i read then i started sort of learning about epigenetics which uh, which means no, I'm not destined to get cancer. It's about, it's not just about our genes. It's about how the environment that we're living in and the food that we're eating and the toxins we're exposed to and many, many other things. So yeah, so now I know I'm not destined to get cancer. But that initially, just reading all those books on cancer led me to reading books on many other, many other things. Right. And, you know, lots of us read lots of things because we get interested in it. But you've taken it kind of one step further and you've actually placed it at the heart of not just this podcast, but also, you know, especially because you've been talking about proactivity for quite some time during this particular series. But you've really taken the whole health effort into something that matters to you personally. Why is that? I think that was because of the way my mum was treated by... Um, the doctors that, who were treating her. Mm. Um, I, as I was learning more and more about cancer and I saw how important nutrition was and they never ever spoke to her about nutrition. All they ever did was offer more and more chemotherapy right. and aggressive chemotherapy and there was all sorts of side effects, you know, losing her hair, getting flu constantly, just lots and lots. It was just so affected her quality of life her quality of life just went really went downhill mm. and and it was really frustrating that she wouldn't listen to me because i kept talking to her about nutrition mm. but she had that um that uh, white coat syndrome uh-huh you know you'd only listen to someone who's got a white coat and i she knowed me i had no training in medicine so why should she listen to me that was kind of her approach yeah and it wasn't that she was ignoring me because my mum loved me but I it, it, I just found it really frustrating that the doctors would never mention anything about nutrition. So not once did they say, you know, ask her about the food that she was and and it was down to the food she was eating. Her diet was terrible, mm. and and yeah, they they never mentioned that. And I guess it just I don't want anyone else to go through this. Like what are 
I mean, our, our medical system in many ways, the NHS is is amazing, but not when it comes. Uh, I mean, I've since met so many doctors, and I've had loads of doctors as guests on my podcast. And and every doctor I've spoken to admits the same thing. They don't get any training in nutrition in their seven years mm. of medical study. Um, and yet it's so important. Yeah. And so I guess that one of the main reasons is I I want to help people. I don't want people to go through the same thing that, that my mum went through, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And and because it's not actually necessary, you know, sort of, or, or rather that there is a, a wider, I know you well enough to know that you have a belief that the wider holistic area allows people to have a much better quality of life. So I'm going to bring us back to what you just said around quality of life, because um, I know you've got a joyful kind of mission that's been brewing over time. Um, can you tell us a little bit about these octogenarian Olympics? The Centenarian Olympics. What's all this about, Tony? There's there's a guy called Peter Atiyah who, who I really like. I've got I've always got a man crush in him, I guess. And he's a he's a doctor or an MD in in America. He's been doing a podcast for six or seven years, mm. um, and he's he's coined a term called the Centenarian Decathlon, mm. which is all and he's all about health span. And the difference between our health span and our lifespan is we may live to 90, but most people in those last two years won't, won't have much quality of life mm. because they'll just be so chronically ill. They'll be in a home probably or maybe in a hospital on lots of different drugs, can hardly move, have no dignity because they can't go to the toilet on their own and, and so on. And so so, so their lifespan is 90, but their health span probably ended at 80. So they, the last 10 years of their life, there's no health at all. Yeah. So... It's all about, so his, he, what he talks about, the centenarian decathlon is if you, um, at the age of 100, what state of health would you like to be able to be in? What would you like to still be able to do at 100? Should, should you live to 100? That's a great would question. You like to be able to, would you like to be playing with your great, great grandkids? Would you like to be able to do your own shopping, like bring your own shopping home mm. and reach for things from cupboards and, you know, and, so if you want to have that level of health at the age of 100, therefore you would need to be at this level at 90 and this level at 80 and mm. 70 and, and so on. And it just made so much sense to me. And, and I've been listening to probably in the last six years, I think probably every single episode of his weekly podcast. Amazing. Is, what number he's on now. And, and he released a book earlier this year called Outlive, which is just absolutely superb. I've read it numerous times. Mm. And I really, I, I really, he's very agnostic when it comes to like sort of diets and he doesn't care what diet you eat. You know, he's, he, he actually did keto for quite a few years and, and then eventually realized actually, no, keto is not the magic pill. Same thing with intermittent fasting and various other forms of fasting. He's tried all of those, much like I've tried all of those. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I came to the same conclusion doesn't really matter about the diet so much or it's more about where well, there's so many other factors it's never one thing and it's always a combination of many different things and and what's that combination because it's fascinating you know for you know i'm i'm certainly taking on board that huh as a woman in my mid 50s i can actively what i do now what i'm hearing from you is what i do now is going to impact the quality of life that i have for years to come that's essentially what you're saying right mm -hmm, absolutely and, and then and then in terms of the combination of those factors what are some of the factors that i should or could be absolutely focused on that i might not think of as something that would be impacting well there's there's five main things i i, I put it down to so it's nutrition sleep stress movement and breathing mm. And, there, and then there's various offshoots of all of those. Right. Breathing is, is, is a really interesting one because it's a lot of people, when it comes to nutrition, they know a lot more than they realize, even if they're not doing what they know. So they know they should be eating this or shouldn't be eating that, but they're not able to stop themselves. Yeah. But they still know, even if they're not actually doing yeah. it. And, and in many ways, you know, we all know we should, probably should be sleeping seven, eight hours, even if we're only sleeping six or mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. 
everyone knows they should be exercising more, even if they're not. And I think everyone realizes, you know, it's not good to be too, have too much stress. No. But the breathing one is the really fascinating one because hardly anyone knows that they're breathing wrong. And it's something like the figures, it's something like 80% of the UK are dysfunctional breathers. 80% of people are, are breathing dysfunctional. And what does breathing dysfunction mean? Yeah, so tell us so that people are like, <laughs> and if you're driving in a car listening to this, don't do too many of the things, but listen to Tony. I like to, tell us what, what that means. So breathing dysfunctionally means you're, you're breathing in a way that's actually detrimental to your health. And usually that means we're breathing too fast, we're breathing too shallow, um, and we're and so there's there's lots of consequences from that. Mm. Um, that generally means we're not really oxygenated oxygenating our blood properly because we're breathing so shallow. Mm -hmm. um, we're not getting a good gas exchange between CO two and, and oxygen. And I don't want to get too too deep into the science, but. And, and also, and the worst thing is most people are breathing through their mouth rather than through their nose, which causes all sorts of other issues. Um, and so the more you go into the world of breath work, and, and I've only just touched the surface on some of the things I said there, because mm. I don't want to start getting really nerdy about all of this sort of stuff. But the more you learn about breath work, there's so much to it. Like, for example, like nitric oxide, which is a... Our nasal passages are around here, and for those of you listening, I'm just sort of pointing to the area around to the left and right of my nose. And when we breathe through our nose, we activate this gas nitro or this molecule of a nitric oxide, and and that's only activated when we breathe in through our nose, not if we breathe in through our mouth. And nitric oxide is so important; it dilates the airways, it helps with the autoimmune system, it fights viruses and pathogens and bacteria and, and so on. Um, it does so many other things in the body. It helps the whole process with carbon dioxide and, and oxygen. It's just like an amazing, actually, it won the people, there's three guys won a, the Nobel Prize because of the discovery of, of nitric oxide. I, I think it was like 15 years ago or something. It's like an amazing molecule. And as I said, you only get this by breathing in, by na nasal breathing rather than mouth breathing. And, and as I said, I've just touched the tip of the iceberg. When you go into breathing there's so much more to it and it can really improve your health in so many ways just by focusing on your breathing and and one simple thing for example is we many people spend most of their time in a in a sympathetic uh, in a sympathetic nervous system which means we're the the, the fight or flight uh, situation mm -hmm. so we're breathing quite sort of um too fast and we're not completely relaxed mm. we're we're always maybe a little bit sort of stressed and and then that closes down many organs in the body we, oh, we don't digest food properly when we're in that state mm. um there's, there's many other things happen when we're in that state and so there's when it comes to your breathing if you're when you're breathing sort of short and shallow that tends to put you in a, in a sympathetic state. Mm. And, and sympathetic sounds like a really nice word, but when it comes to the sympathetic nervous system, you don't want to be in a sympathetic mm. nervous system all the time. That's, that's what's known as being upregulated. Yeah. If you can breathe so your exhale is longer than your inhale, that will put you into the parasympathetic, and parasympathetic is the opposite. So parasympathetic is when you're completely relaxed and you're nice and refreshed. You just feel really calm. Mm. However, and it sounds like, well, that's the place where you want to be all the time. Well, not really. And so in between those, <laughs> so you've got sympathetic, you've got parasympathetic, and in between those is sort of known as coherent or it's also known as resonant, mm. like resonant breathing or coherent breathing. In mm. heart math, they, they call it... Uh, coherent breathing and that's when you do that sort of box breathing technique you know when you like four you inhale for the count of four pause for the count of four exhale for the count of four pause again for four and you just keep doing that and that state means you're much more focused you're much more cognitively sharp you're that's that's a better state for when you're working and you need to be like on the ball you know so you don't always want to be in that parasympathetic state because then you're too chilled so when you're when you've got work to do, you want to be too chilled. You want to be so. Tired. You could say 
if you want to make it really simplified, when you do short, sharp breaths um, and where the inhale is longer than the exhale, that puts you in sympathetic. When you do, when the exhale is much longer than the inhale, that puts you in a parasympathetic. When they're both the same, that sort of puts you in the middle. Good to know. How many people listening might well be counting their breath at this moment? Um, I suspect that that's probably true. And thank you for sharing. Um, uh, you you said in there, I, I, I love that you've just shared this because this is almost like a little bit of a snippet because you're of what's coming, isn't it? Like, because you've gotten very nerdy through all the books. I don't even know how many books you've read over time, but you've gotten very nerdy and specifically around habits and health and um, and all things uh, helpful to us reaching this centenarian decathlon, right? So mm. tell us about what's coming for this podcast because you're going to switch the tables a little bit, aren't you? Yeah, so starting next week is, so this is series four, you know, li- that the art of living proactively. Starting next week is the series five episode, well, it'll be episode 251, but it'll be episode one of, of series five. Yeah. And that's that's called 360 Degrees of Healthspan. Yeah. And I forgot what the tagline is, but essentially it's going to be a very different format. I'm not doing guest interviews anymore. Mm. So this is the last guest interview as such. So it's going to be much shorter episodes, only going to be about 10 minutes, but I'm going to drill down into a particular topic. So it it could be protein, it could be sort of about humming, or it could be, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, I've already I've already penciled uh, fi- uh, 323 different topics that I'm going to be covering. So this is going to be daily, Tony. Well, it's going to start off weekly. So at the moment, every episode is released at 12 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, right. UK time. It's going to start off weekly. Once I've got my processes down to sort of down to a T, I'm going to probably start doing two or three a week. And then I'm looking to probably do between Monday and Friday, one a day, every day, Monday to Friday, probably by, I guess, March. Because I also plan to, for each episode, there will be, be an accompanying blog post and a blog post won't have the same content as the the podcast episode mm. but there'll also be an ebook on each episode as well about that particular topic so there's going to be a whole collection of different ebooks which are not going to be too long they're going to give, give you enough information about that topic mm-hmm. and those and it I'll also each episode I'll give you three habits you can use to implement the information in that episode it's going to be very story based. I'm going to bring in a lot of stories from from my life, and but I'm also going to bring in stories from like from some of the famous philosophers and and from films and TV and and all sorts. So I'm very, going to definitely going to make it story led, but there's going to be quite a bit of humour in there as well. Oh, how wonderful! I want to make it a different style. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's really wonderful because I really hear your dedication to educating people around the fact that they can be in charge of their own health span, in charge of their own health, in charge of their own uh, wellness and beingness in the world. And 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 I hear that this is a perfect marriage for you around all the films, all the podcasts, all the books that you've ever read. So, so um, you mentioned stories, uh, and I know you to be a master storyteller. I know you from the podcast to be a master listener to other people's stories, but want to share a story from your life that might just help us get you get to know you even better? Oh, <laughs> there's so many. I mean, I lived in the Far East for 10 years. Um, I worked around Europe for a few years. I worked around the Middle East. I mean, I have so many stories, like trying to pick one is, oh, well, <laughs> which one do I start with? Um, <clears throat> a story that comes to mind. I could, the first one that comes to mind, and I don't know why, I, I did, in the early 2000s, I did quite a few bike rides across across different countries raising money for guide dogs because at the I, I mentioned earlier that my mum uh, lost her eyesight. She mm. went blind. She got a guide dog. I started finding out that guide dogs didn't receive any money from from the government, and so they just had to raise all their own money to train these, you know, these guide dogs, mm. which give blind people so much independence. And and I, I was on a, a trip uh, cycling across New Zealand, the south South Island of New Zealand, and 
I don't know why this story came into my head, but anyway, so there was this this guy called Murray, this Scottish guy. He was eighteen. He lost his eyesight when he was fourteen. He was built. He was really big, massive guy, probably twice my size. Mm. He was you know, like a rugby player. He was built, and his attitude was incredible. You'd think he'd be bitter at being completely blind, you know, just within four years mm. at the age of fourteen. He wasn't at all. He had such an amazing attitude to life. He was so curious about things. He was always smiling and happy. And he just had a great attitude to life. Anyway, what he'd done the trip the year before. This is my first trip on, you know, and we're cycling from Queenstown, uh, Christchurch to Queenstown. Mm. On the third day, he, so he was riding on the back of a tandem. Right. Obviously, he can't ride a bike on his own. But well, and actually that's not completely true, but he did, but that's another That's story. a different story. The third day, we're in the having breakfast and he said, Tony, would you go on the front of my tandem today? So I said, Yeah, okay. I, and I just figured he just wanted to have a chat with me and get to know me, because obviously when you're riding along, you can just be chatting about all sorts of things. And I'd never ridden a tandem before, and a tandem is so different to a normal bike, especially when you've got a guy on the back who's twice your weight. <laughs> and when you're trying to turn, oh, it's really, it's really difficult. Anyway, so for the first few hours, I was getting used to it. And then at lunchtime, he said, did you, uh, did you wonder why I asked you to be on the, uh, yeah, uh, to be riding with me today? And I said, well, I just figured you just want to have a chat. He said, well, yeah, that, that was part of it. But there was another reason. I said, okay, yeah, go on. What's that? He said, well, I know that you're the fastest rider here. And this afternoon, we're coming up to, I forget the name of the hill. There was some like crazy hill that we were coming up to. And he said, and last year, when we went down this hill, we managed to get to 85 kilometers an hour. And I want to beat that. And I think that you're going to be able to help me beat that. <laughs> 85 kilometers an hour on a bike. <laughs> and this, the hill was like this. And again, for those of you listening, you can't see the yeah. video. It was really steep, this hill. And the, the tandem had a speedometer on it. So anyway, so we started, and, but the bottom of the hill was a T-junction. So we started going down this hill and we've got to like 70, 75, 80. We've got to 85 and I can see the bottom approaching really quickly. And if it was just me, I would have probably gone a little bit quicker, but I've got this blind guy in the back. I can't wipe out with... Uh, so I had to start putting on the brakes. And so we got, we matched 85, but we didn't get to 86, which is what he was hoping for. Mm. But he was fine about it. But it was just, wow, that was hairy. I've no, yeah, to be 85 on a bike was kind of crazy. Ooh. And isn't that, I mean, in, in, in many ways, I mean, thank you for sharing. In many ways, that's, that's sort of a metaphor for life, isn't it? Like it's, it's like if we really let ourselves, whatever the obstacles or perceived obstacles that we might actually have, if we let ourselves, we could really go for it in all sorts of ways, whether that is in our health, in our reading, in our connections, in, in all of the different areas of our lives, we need to make a choice, don't we? And, and I love the choice that you had, like, I could push it or I could just begin to slow down. And that is the choice that we have so much of the time, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If, if he hadn't been on the bat, I would have definitely gone faster. Yeah. But there's no way I could have wiped him out. Yeah. Well, how, how wonderful. And, uh, you know, I, I know that as you've just sort of hinted at, you've lived in a lot of countries, right? Yeah, fourteen. Yeah. Fourteen. It's that 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 that's quite a lot of cultural input because um, they've all been quite diverse as well. Like you know, it's not like you've just hopped around Europe, is it? No, I've had really extremes. I mean, from very rich countries like Japan and Switzerland. Yeah. To well, Japan was very rich at the time I was there. Anyway, mm. to very poor countries like Indonesia and Syria. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, they, I mean, they were complete opposites. Mm. Yeah. And then many countries in between yeah and what's the one thing that you've seen that sort of unites people oh, i i think it doesn't matter what country you go to it's the it's the people you're with mm -hmm. it, um it's the people you meet every country in some ways is the same every country has people that are great and really friendly and really hospitable and so on 
And I mean, like for example, when I, I was in Syria in the late seven, uh, late eighties, rather, and at the time Britain closed our embassy with uh, Syria because mm-hmm. of the Lockerbie, um, the shoe bomb, and, and so on. And Britain had accused a Syrian guy of doing. I can't remember the whole story, but anyway, we didn't have an embassy there. And the Daily Mail, as 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 they want, were daily painting Syrians as being really horrible people, and it was a horrible country, and it was full of terrorists and so on. That could not have been further from the truth because mm. my experience there, they were so warm and friendly and people always invited me into their homes for, you know, to, and, and wouldn't let me spend a penny. Mm. I, I was playing for a football team there of the hotel I was working for. And I was working for the most luxurious hotel in the whole of Syria. It was a Sheraton Damascus at the time. Mm. And I played for the football, for the hotel football team, which was made up of the bellboys and cooks and, you know, all, and I was, it's not an exaggeration to say, I was probably earning more than all of them put together, probably three times more than all of them put together. Mm. And every time we would go to play football, it's like, it's really hot there. You know, it was, sometimes it was it'd be 45 degrees in, you know, um, found out it's in a great always yeah. messed up. It's very hot anyway. And they'd bring loads of water and picnic and yeah, it, was like, it was like a feast every game. And after a couple of games, I said, look, yeah, can I contribute towards it? And I remember one of the guys said, no, no, mm-hmm. Tony, you're our guest. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay, but I would still like to contribute. And then he started getting a little bit sterner. No, Tony, you're our guest. I made one more effort and then he got really angry. No, you are our guest. You do not pay. <laughs> and it was just, yeah, they were, they knew I was earning a lot more than them, but they were, yeah, they had the way they're painted mm-hmm. by our press. It was just so untrue. And, and every country I went to, I found, I think people everywhere are really friendly. Yeah, it's it's amazing what you, you know, sort of opening and expanding your eyes to culture, to ideas, to just things that you can do or the ways that you can experience life is is absolutely amazing. And and I, I think that's what you are about to sort of do with this next series, isn't it? Really, it's it's um, you're about to get a little bit nerdy. I think you're about to share some stories. Yeah, and also I, I just realized that my being in the Far East for so long, mm. so I was in the Far East for 10 years, and the way they, their approach to medicine and to health is yeah. very different to uh, how we approach it in yeah. the West. And I didn't realize how much it had affected me that seeing that firsthand. And it's only re- recently I realized, oh, yeah, there's a lot of those things that I was doing when I was there mm. that has affected my kind of approach and how I see. I like, in many ways, their approach to health far more than our approach to health over here. Yeah, and I think I think that may well be responsible for the fact that uh, you mentioned birthdays and you mentioned that, you know, this is airing literally the day before your... Want to tell people how old you are? Yeah, well, this, the day this comes out, I'm going to be 60 tomorrow. And that always seems to amaze people when I meet them. And say, oh, like, people seem to think I'm in my mid-40s or, or even younger. Some people have got very bad eyesight. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah so I'm, I, I mean, I do, I play a lot of sport. I'm still faster than many guys 20, 30 years younger than me when I'm playing football. Mm-hmm. And I... A few few months ago, I discovered weightlifting for the first time, and you, you, I don't. I'm not really into wearing tight clothes, but I'm for the first time in my life, I'm really ripped. I've never before. <laughs> it's crazy, and so um, yeah, I seem to be, and, and it's all about it's all in the mind anyway. Age, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And I, I've never had because I've been a DJ most of my life, and I've been crazy about music. I obviously I, I'm still friends with many people that I went to school with, like far more than most people. Yeah. Like, there's probably about thirty or forty people from my school from my school year who we meet up regularly. We meet I'm meeting up with many of them next week. But there's many people who are the same age as me who think in a way that's much older. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're they have so many aches and pains, and they've they've almost accepted that. Oh, I'm in my sixties now. I'm that means I'm an old person, and I don't think like that at all. And I, I um, and I don't have any aches or pains, and I think that's a lot because I do. Just 
I guess, so much sport and movement and yoga and Pilates and And breathing and you sleep well. And I think you are one of the walking, talking role models that I know of, you know, when you see someone who is so passionate about what they do and who's thrown so much uh, attention into learning their craft, you know, the, 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 the health and the habits and the way in which you hold them you're a walking, talking billboard for doing the things that you are saying that that you've not only picked up on your travels, but that you've then kind of extensively trained on. And and I think there's a lot to be said for just listening to someone. So I'm going to go back to you getting really nerdy and deep diving into the the tiniest things that that make a difference because it is like the little things that make a difference make a massive difference or have the potential to make a massive difference. And again, if we're back to that scenario, and I think a lot of people are, I've certainly had to do this, you know, look after parents in their older age and just watching that happen, you know, which is, which can be heartbreaking for some, you know, if we can, if you can actively start that revolution of it doesn't have to be like that. I know that's really close to your heart. Is is that fair to say? Is that kind of putting you up on a thing or just setting you a good challenge? Yeah, I mean, well, I've got a, one of the challenges that I've sort of set myself or and, and a tagline that I'm going to be using is I want to help 100 people reach to, to be centenarians. You know? um, so, yeah, I do want to help people. It's not actually about people getting to 100. That's just a number. It's more about helping people be healthy for as long as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, so that they're only in a maybe an unhealthy state mm-hmm. at, for the last few weeks or months of their life rather than as many people now. It's like a decade or even more for most people in, in chronic disease and yeah. just having no dignity or freedom, you know, or independence or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, so I want to help people with that. Um, and I, oh, there was something I was just about to say, like, I don't know what it was. But yeah. Take your time. It's all good because life is there to be enjoyed. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I, I go and watch quite a lot of comedy. I, I'm very much into, into stand-up comedy, but, and I've performed quite a bit of stand-up comedy, but <laughs> I prefer to watch stand-up comedy. Well, so so it sounds like, you know, sort of in the upcoming episodes, not only will there be uh, a bunch of education, you deep diving and getting slightly nerdy around the things that you've got, probably sharing one or three but stories. Hum- but in a humorous way. Because I think that's it. the difference. Because some of these topics, I, I'm very aware, can be very dry. Mm-hmm. So I want to try and make them much more appealing to people and have and trying to integrate or bring a little bit of humor into each episode if i can yeah which which makes a, a lot of sense i i could talk to you for a long long while and i suspect that all i'm going to do instead is actually um listen to what's coming up uh for those of you who um who are slightly newer to this i would highly recommend you know the the tiny tips. So, so Tony has definitely helped me on a health level, uh, just live my life that little bit better, oddly enough or not through the breathing more than anything. So, um, I think there are lots of little things we can all do to set us on the road to that health span that you are talking about. I've remembered what it was I was going to say. I could see that. Just So, yeah. One of the things I found very interesting in the last few years is I've done all these different courses. And for example, when I was doing the, the breathing course, um, and, and I know lots of breathwork instructors, and, and there's a particular group I'm on, uh, sort of uh, an internet group for all these different breathing instructors. And no matter what problem someone has, breathing is the answer. And then I'm on this nutrition group for all these nutrition coaches. Doesn't matter what problem someone has, nutrition is the answer. <laughs> Same thing for sleep. Um, and what I've realized is, you know, it's that man with a hammer. Yeah, everything's a yeah. Is it, a man with a hammer, everything is a nail. If it's something like that. That's fine. And in all of these different, doesn't matter what it is you learn, you think whatever it is that you've learned, that is the answer to everything when it comes to health, anyway. But what I've realized is, no, it's not. It's never any one thing. It's always it's many things. You can't just address the one thing. It's a, it's you have to 
you have to look at all these different things. Mm. You have to look at not just your nutrition, but your sleep and your stress and your movement and your breathing and, and so on. Yeah. That's wonderful. The wheel so, of life. Yeah, isn't it just? And how, how wonderful that we get to live it and live it well, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm going to turn the tables on you for one last time before you sort of begin to do this again. So I believe you always finish with a book that's moved you. So with all the hundreds and thousands of books that you've read, what's a book that's moved you, Tony? Oh, that's, this is crazy that I'm going to struggle to answer this when I ask, ask people this every week. <laughs> now you know I, how they I, feel. I, <laughs> I, I've, read, like, I mean, I've literally read hundreds of books in the last few years, but I guess the one that stands out, and so it must be this one, is Matthew Walker, um, Why We Sleep. And and I guess the reason why I'm saying this is because it's the, the first book or is the book that as I read it more and I read it a few times and I realized just how important sleep is to our overall health. I mean, I just went and said that it's not one thing. It's a combination of things. Sleep, I think, is the most important. Mm. And I remember I actually said to and I wrote it down. I am now making sleep my number one priority. Mm. And, and that was in 2020. I remember that. And, and since then I have. And even though I'm still DJing sometimes, and so sometimes I'm not getting home till very late, but I'm still, I'm, sleep is my number one priority. I mean, well, my daughter, Bonnie, is my number one priority. But as far as health is concerned, sleep is my number one priority. And I think because I make that such a priority, it's one of the reasons why I am so healthy and I, I I'm never ill. Mm. I don't really, and I seem. I'm. I'm usually. I don't ever get depressed or in a bad mood. And mm -hmm. I think sleep has got something to do with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm charging my brain well. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the episode in which you talk about that. Is all I can say. So we've heard about the book. What about a quote that really resonates for you? Well, interestingly enough, and and there's a few people have said this quote. Uh, who have been guests on this show. Mm. And it's a, it's a quote that says there's a space between stimulus and response, and in that space is our room for growth and freedom. Mm. And it's always attributed to uh, Viktor Frankl, but actually it wasn't Viktor Frankl that said it. Mm. And it's n not clear who actually said it. And it, the, when there's, there's a great website and i'll put this in the show notes there's a great website called quote investigator yes who goes really nerdy on these there's so many einstein there's so many quotes attributed to einstein for example which were never einstein never said any of them. you mean he wasn't as clever as we think he is yeah so this is one of those those quotes it's always attributed to victor frankl but mm. in man's search for meaning yeah that amazing book he did say some things which are very similar to that, but he didn't actually say those words. Right. And in uh, Stephen Covey's book, Seven uh, Habits of Highly Successful, Successful People, mm. that's where it seems to be first attributed to Viktor Frankl because he says in that book, uh, Viktor Frankl said, but, mm. and so when you look at this um, article by Quote Investigator, he goes very deep into it. Who was it who actually said this? Yeah. So anyway, it doesn't. In some ways, it doesn't matter who said it. Because it's a fantastic quote. Yeah. Um, and and since first reading that quote, I don't know how many years ago it was. I think about it. I wouldn't say daily. That's not true. But I do think about it regularly, and I am now much more. I've I've worked on myself to make that pause much longer, so I don't have the default reaction I used to have. Because I used to do what most people do, you know, you're driving and someone cuts you up and you start swearing at them as if they can hear you. you know? And or there's things that you just do with def on a default. Mm. I don't do on a default anymore. I now give myself time to think and I react differently. And do you have a tip? I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that are sort of going, how do you do that? What's your tip for, for increasing the space between stimulus and response? Well... It comes down to breath work, really, mm. because the more you can be down-regulated and more in that sort of parasympathetic state and more mm. like more relaxed, you're able to think more, co more coherently. Mm. And that allows you to, that thing, the stimulus happens and where you would normally just respond. 
actually, no. Was it is was that as bad as I, you know, do I need to be offended by that? Do I need to be angry about that? Do I it, you actually give yourself time to think about your reaction rather than just having a reaction? Yeah. And it's not easy. It does take time. Yeah. But if you if you think about this a lot and, and this is how it's been for me anyway. Yeah. I thought about this a lot for the last probably 7 8 years. Mm. And and I my I do have a much bigger gap now between the stimulus and the response. So you've developed that habit beautifully. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how wonderful. Well, as I say, you're a walking, talking example of all that you um, talk about. And I am definitely looking forward to hearing much more. So I wish you all the best with the new series. Um, long may it continue. Well, and, and thank you, Helena, for all that you've done for me. You've done like, so much for me over the last, what was it, five years, I yeah. think, since we first met. Yeah. And yeah, you were a guest four years ago. So yeah. I really want to give a big thank you to you because you've been a, a massive help. So thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you, Helena. Well, listeners, we've reached the final episode of The Art of Living Proactively. I can't quite believe this marvellous journey is drawing to an end after 250 thought-provoking instalments. But don't despair, I'll return next week with an exhilarating new vision. Welcome 360 Degrees of Healthspan, where I provide practical pearls to optimise your longevity. We'll be exploring every angle of whole person health, not just the physical, but also mental, emotional, social and spiritual. I'm overflowing with fervor to share this fresh focus with you all. It culminates years of research in lifestyle medicine and seeing firsthand how small consistent actions reap massive rewards. So do join me on this quest to help you sculpt sustainable habits across all facets of life. Let's revel together in the adventure of becoming our best selves. I sincerely believe these bite-sized episodes will prove invaluable. They'll be around about 10 minutes each, something along those lines. Please do subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, leave us sparkling reviews, share posts with friends and comment on our YouTube channel. Your support means the world to me. So one last time, I thank you profoundly for making this such a special community to nurture. Here's to many more mutually meaningful moments on the road ahead. Hope you have a great weekend.